Um, we're going to do now what we do each Sunday. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, whatever it is, if you would turn to our passage today in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, we're going to start at verse 1, but then we'll jump into verse 7 is where we're going to focus our time today. So Exodus chapter 20, if you found that and you were able, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word. Here we read this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me just pray for us quickly, ask God's blessing on this time in his word, and we'll jump in. Uh, Spirit of God, would you illumine the preaching of your word? As we come, we want to be those who sit underneath your word and not in judgment over it. So would you remove every barrier, um, open every ear, every eye, every heart, every mind to what you want to accomplish? You promise us in your word that when you send out your word, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us gathered here today? And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Oh, Romeo. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, not a Montague. What's Montague? It is no hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo doth thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. Thank you. These are, uh, (laughs) these are, of course, the, uh, you didn't know you were going to get barred on the beach this morning, but um, we're a little far from the beach. These are, of course, the romantic complaints of Juliet from Shakespeare's classic play, Romeo and Juliet. Um, Her question, what's in a name? It's good. It's a good question, and it's one that's particularly relevant to where we're going to be looking in our passage today. And her point, if, you, if the Shakespearean language has kind of muddled it for you at all, her point is that the importance that we give to names, like what we call people or someone or something, uh, shouldn't matter half as much as we say it does. And no question, I think she's right. If, if a rose was called something else, if we didn't call it a rose, it would still smell just as sweet as the thing we call a rose. I, th- I think she's right. The problem for Juliet, of course, is that Juliet is from the Capulet family. Capulet is her family name, whereas her star-crossed lover, Romeo, is from the Montague family. And both families are said to be sworn enemies of one another. And so, while her point about a rose is well taken, names, it would seem, like it or not, still come to matter quite a bit in the end. 
So we're continuing this summer teaching series we began a few weeks ago called Ten Words. And today we come to the third word, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which if you're at all familiar with the Ten Commandments, is the word which, which I think is often the most misunderstood of all the ten words, often referred or, or kind of reduced down to nothing more than just, just kind of watch your mouth. Uh, cut the OMGs out of your regular speech patterns uh, with, with, with no further explanation, no deeper understanding given by almost anyone as to, like, first of all, why? Like, why misuse or irreverent use of God's name matters so much? Or just how much more comprehensive this commandment actually is far beyond our speech alone. And so all I want to do together this morning with you for just a few minutes is to kind of untangle this the kind of mystery around this word a bit more for us, and ultimately to apply Juliet's question to it. What's in a name in order to give us a deeper understanding, to give us a deeper appreciation of what it is about God's divine name that's so important and why it is that taking it in vain matters so much? In order to help you see that, I want to look at our passage together today in just two ways. We're going to talk, first of all, about what God's name reveals about God, And then we'll talk about what using or taking up God's name reveals about us. What God's name reveals about God and what using or taking up God's name reveals about us. So, if you closed your Bible, Bible app, would you open it again with me to that passage? Follow along with me. Come with me here into Exodus 20, verse 7. And follow along as we continue to explore what these ten words reveal, both about the character of God himself as well as how altogether they call us out of the self-destructive ways of living we so often think will lead to fullness and set us on the path to actually experiencing it. So let's look first of all at what God's name reveals about God. What is it that God's name reveals about God? But before we dive directly into that, I think it's essential that we first frame our discussion around any of the ten words with the prologue to all of them there in verse 1 and 2. Look, look back there again with me if you would. You probably would have noticed that instead of just diving right into verse 7, we started with verse 1 and 2. And no, I'm not going to re-preach this point every Sunday, but I am absolutely going to remind you of it. I'm going to make reference to the prologue each Sunday because as I see it, you can't look at any part of the moral law of God Uh, either individually or collectively as a whole, without pausing to remember that the law of God doesn't actually start with law at all. The law of God begins with grace. It begins not with what we do for God, but first with what He has done for us. So I'll likely begin every message from this series beginning with verse 1 and 2, because disconnected from the prologue, obedience to the ten words becomes nothing more than a means of earning our redemption from God, rather than our grateful response to a God who has already redeemed us. So, with that reminder now in place, let's, let's come now to this third word, which again, verse 7 states, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, adding, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I come to this third commandment or this third word myself, it almost seems out of place from the others. 
particularly the first two commandments, as one commentator put it, uh, to have no other gods before him, uh, to make no images of God or his creation that we worship. That seems foundational to the Christian life, whereas don't take God's name in vain. That, that seems more like helpful advice. Shouldn't do that. And as I said when we began, I think the reason for that is because for most of us, if you grew up in a Christian home, if you have some experience with the, the Ten Commandments or exposure to them, this word has been reduced down to don't use God's or Jesus' name unless you're talking about him or to him. End of lesson. Move on. That, that's it, right? Uh, uh, which, while certainly hitting a part of this word's intent, misses both its far more comprehensive application beyond our speech alone and fails to answer the foundational question of, like, why? Why not? Why God commands this of his people to begin with? And so, as Juliet wondered aloud, let's ask this same question as it relates to this third word, what's in a name? What is it about God's name that that's so important that God would use up one of a limited number of spots on this list here in order to express the importance that his people not take his name in vain. What's in a name? Well, I think the first thing we could say is that generally speaking, there, there's a personal, uh, relational aspect that uh, anyone has that relates to their name, right? It's a personal, relational aspect. It's how we distinguish someone from you, you there or um, him, that girl over there. It's, it's a personal identifier, we could say. And it's often how, we just, it's how we're introduced to someone the first time we meet. We, we're introduced and we're told their name, which in and of itself can be a deeply meaningful experience. Uh, I shared a few weeks ago about the experience of first meeting my wife and uh, chasing her down after the service. Uh, that was an a, a important moment in our life when I first met her and learned her name. Um, those of you who have seen uh, Steven Spielberg's remake of Leonard Bernstein's classic musical West Side Story, if you, if you know that, film or that story, you'll know that when Tony, the main character, when he first learns the name of his love interest, Maria, there's an entire musical number dedicated to the experience. So it's a big deal when you learn someone's name and there's a relational aspect to it of you're inviting someone to call me by this name. And it's not actually an entirely different experience when God first introduces himself and his name either. God, as you know, uh, throughout the Old Testament is referred to by many different names. God, uh, Jehovah, Adonai, all these different names. But if you look carefully again at verse 7 there, you'll see that once again, the name Lord is written in all caps, which as I mentioned two weeks ago, that's how our English Bibles signify a very specific name of God by which he says he wants to be called, that is, Yahweh. And you see all caps, Lord, that means God's divine name, Yahweh, which he says he wants to be called. And, and where God first introduces himself by that name, if you didn't know, is just back a few chapters in Exodus chapter 3. There Moses is out keeping sheep on Mount Horeb. He's fled Egypt and he's out there just working as a shepherd. And God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And as Moses comes closer to check out this bush, which is on fire but doesn't burn up, God says this to Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, at which we're told Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God then tells Moses he has seen the affliction of his people in Egypt. He's come down to deliver them and to bring them to a land of their own. 
But when he sends Moses back to recount this good news of great joy, Moses then says this, if the people come, if the people of Israel, if I come to them and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is the meaning of Yahweh. I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, concluding with, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this is God introducing himself and his name to Moses. So right, there's, there's personal, relational aspect to God as he introduces himself to Moses, tells him, this is the name I desire to be called now throughout all generations. So just very, very introductory, the very first thing we could say here, in the same way that we honor, the same way that we hold and respect the name of people that we love, the name of people that we admire, this word is calling us to honor to respect, to, to revere God's name when we use it. That's kind of just like baseline what we're talking about here. But even understanding that, you might still be thinking, yeah, I mean, okay, that, that, that makes sense to me. That's great. But I still don't quite understand why would God use like one. There's only 10 spots on the list here. Why would he use one of those spots just to tell his people and don't disrespect my name? And I think the key to understanding why God would go to all this trouble comes when we begin to understand the significance of names to a Hebrew culture in particular. Because for the majority of us, our name, yeah, it's a personal identifier, it's how we introduce ourselves, but for most of us, our name is just what, you know, our mama uses to call us in for dinner. But for the Hebrew culture, it meant so much more than just what you were called. It was someone's name represented the, entire, the entirety of their identity. It was their whole person, who they were at the core of their being. Therefore, as Philip Ryken puts it, when we use God's name, we are referring to the essence of his divine being. We're referring to all of him. That's how Hebrew culture understood the use of names. It's the same reason, for instance, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven and not God himself. It's, it's, if you never noticed it, in that beautiful hymn celebrating Jesus' humility, which we read this morning in Philippians 2, right? Paul says, it talks about it being at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess Jesus is, is the Lord to the glory of God the Father, because no, uh, the universe one day is not going to bow down before a, a huge billboard with Jesus' name on it. We're going to bow down before Jesus himself. We, we're going to declare that he is Lord but that's why this is so important, because again, in Hebrew culture, someone's name is the expression of who they are. So to bow before the name of Jesus is to bow before him. It's an expression of their entire personality, being, and, and character. That, that's what a name meant. So quickly, let's jump back and, and look at, at this name by which God introduces himself to Moses, commands that he is to be known by forever throughout all generations, and, and see what it reveals about who he is. So God tells Moses his name is I am, or I am who I am, represented in the Old Testament by four letters, sometimes for you region students, called the Tetragrammaton, um, Y-H-W-H, no vowels in there, Yahweh is how we pronounce that, uh, most of our English Bibles again, all caps, Lord means this divine name. 
Yahweh. Uh, Kevin DeYoung notes that Yahweh is probably connected to the Hebrew verb to be. And so the first thing God's name reveals about himself is not just what he's to be called, but who he is as the sovereign, self-existent God of all things. He is the one who simply is, without reference to anything else, anyone, anything else. He just says, I am, that is my name. But even more than that, as we saw a moment ago in Exodus 3, when God reveals his divine name to Moses, he also reveals that name within a context, right? Within the context of hearing his people's distress, coming to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. So what that means is that along with introducing himself, along with revealing his self-existence, God's self-existent nature without beginning or end, he's also revealing that he is a redeemer. He's revealing that he is a rescuer, that he's a God who hears the cries of his people and does something. He responds. He, he acts on their behalf. He's a God who's powerful and mighty to save them and so much more. So hopefully you're already beginning to understand a lot more about the why behind this third word. How a commandment that on the surface of it seems so much less consequential than the first two could still make the top ten list for God. There's a personal, relational aspect to God's name as he introduces himself. This is my name that I am to be referred by for all time. But as you hopefully see, far more than simply telling us what he wants to be called... God's revealing his nature. He's revealing his very essence in revealing his name as well. So therefore, the point here, first of all, is is this. To disrespect God's name is not simply to dishonor what he's been called, but it is to dishonor and disrespect everything about who he is and everything that he's done. Because the name is the summation of that person, their character, who they are, what they've done. So to dishonor God's name is to dishonor who he is and everything he's done. So that's what God's name reveals about God to us. Lots more we could say about that, lots more that's being written, but hopefully that gives us a good start anywhere so we can kind of jump into like how we do this, what this looks like to be obedient to this. It helps us to understand this word a lot better. The last thing I want to talk with you now then is to understand what using or taking up God's name reveals about us. What does using or taking up God's name reveal about us? So again, having much more in-depth understanding of all that's revealed to us through God's name itself, I can trust you can see why taking his name in vain would matter so much, but what we have yet to discuss is what it looks like to do that in order to be sure that we don't do it. What does it look like to take God's name in vain? What does that mean even? Well, for Orthodox Jews, the solution Uh, to that question simply became just to never use God's divine name at all. They wouldn't speak it, they wouldn't write it, they wouldn't use it anywhere for fear of breaking this commandment. Uh, The the obvious problem with that being the relational aspect of God's name, right? That's how he said he wanted to be called. This is God's introduction, introduction of himself to us, and he says, I want to be called by this name. So the whole point of this command is not don't use God's name, it's about the misuse of God's name. I mean, this would literally be like never using my wife's name or my daughter's names ever again just to make sure I didn't disrespect their names. Like, it would be so odd. Their their names are personally how I know them. God's given us his name because he wants us to use it. So it's a little bit like, I don't know, the cure being worse than the disease. But that was their solution. We just don't use the name. 
But how do we find a balance then between taking this commandment too seriously and then not taking it seriously enough? Because on the other end of the spectrum, I think our solution of reducing this command down to nothing more than watch your mouth is equally insufficient. And I'm not trying to give you a, a comprehensive theological treatise on the subject, but I think a good balance can reasonably be found by digging a little bit deeper into these two kind of specific words used in verse 7, take and in vain. Those two words, we're going to just dig a little bit deeper into those, and I think those two terms, in understanding what they mean, will have a much clearer picture of what this third word is actually calling us to. So look again at verse 7 with me. You see, first of all, God talks about someone taking his name. You're not to take God's name in vain. What does that mean? How do, how do we do that? Well, if you look at the word that God uses in Hebrew, it, it actually has quite a breadth of meaning. It could mean any number of things. It could mean take. It could also mean lift up, raise, carry, even wear. It can mean all of these things. So seeing that means you could actually read this third word as you shall not take up, you shall not carry, you shall not put on or wear the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, but then what about, what does that mean then? What does it mean, what does in vain mean? Well, here the Hebrew word God uses simply means <clears throat> something that is worthless, something that is futile, something that is without value. Okay, so... Joining these two pieces together now. What this third word is ultimately calling us to do is this. Don't take up or put on God's name in a way that causes him to be seen either by ourselves or by others as worthless or without value. That's ultimately what this command is calling us to. Don't take up, put on God's name in a way that causes him to be seen either by ourselves or others as worthless or without value. How do we do that? Well, there's any number of ways we could do it. In its original context, this had largely to do with swearing oaths, um, either in court or to another person. So, for example, someone would say, as surely as Yahweh lives, I'm telling the truth. As surely as Yahweh lives, I will return to this place or whatever. So, so I'm putting on, I'm, I'm holding up God's name as a sign of authority, of authenticity, uh, of trustworthiness. Because if, if Yahweh lives, and I trust that, then I can trust that what you said is true as well, which actually was fine. There was actually nothing wrong with that that's entirely reasonable to say, except if you were simply using God's name to bring added weight to your words when you had no intention of fulfilling what you had vowed. Which basically just to say, if your promise or your vow had no value to begin with, then adding God's name to it, which again is, is God himself, it's referring to himself, it makes God to be seen as having no value either, if I add his name to my worthless vow. So that's, in its original context, most of what it's referring to, this idea of putting on God's name falsely in a way that causes him to be seen as worthless as the vow I made. And of course, uh, in our modern day setting, many times, maybe in a court trial, we'll, we'll hear someone swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. They're, they're, so they're vowing, as God lives, basically, that they're going to tell the truth. But for the most part, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't talk like this in everyday life. I don't make vows uh, like this in my day-to-day -day life, because people don't talk like this, right? I don't text my wife, like, as surely as Yahweh lives, I'll bring home the milk that you asked for. Um... 
I mean, we, don't, we don't talk like that. So what does this look like for us today? How do, we, how do we keep this? What does obedience to this word look like? Well, because here's the thing. How you take up or put on God's name says a lot about how we value God ourselves. I think that's the, the main thing that using or putting on God's name says about us. It says how much we value God. What does he mean to us? Because maybe you'd say, as you look at this commandment, you'd say, okay, but I don't, I don't take God's name in vain. I, I don't curse people in God's name. I don't use his name like a swear word. Doesn't that mean I'm already keeping it? I, I don't do that, so basically I'm good, right? I, this third one we can just kind of check off. I don't do that, so I'm, I'm good. The answer to that question becomes clearer when we begin to think a bit more about what it means to take up and put on God's name. Because no question, yes, it's good. It's good not to dishonor God's name by using it like a swear word or an expression of frustration. But as Peter Lightheart rightly says, in the new covenant, we bear the name or we take up or put on the name, not first and foremost because of how we use it, but because we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And with that gifted name comes a new identity, a new history, and membership in a new family. Which means simply making yourself known as a Christian at all is to take up and put on the name of God. Because as a follower of Jesus, baptized into his name, everything you say, everything you do now is done in his name. So do you see, this is why I said, I mean, our speech is just kind of one aspect of what it means to be obedient to this word for, for far more than just what you say, how you act, how you behave, even how you think about things can cause you or cause others to see God as having no value. As one who comes in his name, you now can bring dishonor to God's name simply by how you live. So at the end of the day, the question that each one of us needs to be asking ourselves as we live out our daily lives in front of other people is, is the way that I'm living, is the way that I'm acting, is the way that I'm speaking right now demonstrating the value of God to others? Or is it causing them to see him as futile, worthless, and without value? If the answer is the latter then we're being disobedient to this word even if God's name has not even been spoken. Which I don't know if that's the same for you, but I think probably makes a lot of us feel a little bit terrified, a little bit uh, fearful as we think about that because I don't know anybody in here. I don't think there is a person who hasn't done that at some point in their lives, which means we haven't been obedient to this command. And God just said here very clearly, he's not going to hold guiltless anyone who does this you take his name in vain, he's not going to hold you guiltless, which is why, this is precisely why, and the reason we frame the discussion of this third word beginning with the prologue to the words. That's why we started there. And that's where this immediately comes into play when we feel that pressure, when we feel that weight of, I haven't done this. Because again, if the Ten Commandments are about how we earn acceptance and redemption from God, then the moment we break even one of them, <clears throat> in this context here, the moment I live or speak in a way that devalues God's name in the eyes of someone else, I, I, my, my hope for acceptance, my hope of redemption from God is lost. But 
If obedience to the moral law is instead our grateful response to a God who's already accepted us, who's already redeemed us, then, okay, when I recognize I'm living, I'm speaking in a way that's causing God's name to be dishonored, to be devalued, to be seen as worthless, it's just simply the first step towards repentance. Recognition of the fact I am living, I am speaking in a way that causes your name to be seen as, as worthless, God. Forgive me. I turn and then I'll shift and, and walk into the acceptance I already have in Jesus and seek to change that behavior, seek to change that pattern of speech going forward. So we talk a lot about passages like Acts 1.8, 2 Corinthians 5.20 here, a lot as it relates to our role as witnesses, our role as ambassadors for Jesus in the world, sharing the message of what Jesus has done, sowing the seed of the gospel everywhere we have opportunity, but... Hopefully what you're seeing now in light of this third word from Exodus 20 is an even broader application even of those passages. How you live, how you speak, how you think about things is also a part of what it means to be a witness. It's a part of what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. As those who know what he's done to redeem us, we know the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf and have been baptized into his name, we now have a choice every single day to decide if God's name will be seen and God, not just his name, right, but God himself will be seen as the infinitely valuable God that he is, or if you will have taken up and put on his name in vain. Every day we have a choice to, to make that decision. How will God's name be seen because of me? Again, never as a means of earning our acceptance before God, only as our grateful recipients of the full acceptance that you already have through Jesus. trying to put this all together, land the plane. I think Kevin DeYoung, in his work on this passage, summarizes and applies everything we've looked at here perfectly. And so I'm going to close with a, a quote from him. He writes this, If you want a simple summary of the third commandment, a New Testament exhortation putting pos in positive language all that is required of us, here it is. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, which is Colossians 3.17. That's how we live out this commandment on a day-to-day -day basis. We obey the third commandment by living out our Christian life with integrity, by speaking and doing everything according to the family name. For when we do all that we do and do it in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ, we show that his is the name we value. His is the name that we love and the name that is above all other names. God, help us to live in such a way that your name is honored, that you are seen as the valuable God that you are. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen.